you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. The presence of the Lord has been in this room tonight. And I hope that I can do justice to what I feel to preach tonight. I felt direction to what I'm going to speak and do in this service tonight. I felt direction on Friday night and I have wrestled with my thoughts through this weekend and only those who understand um, sermon preparation and delivery will understand what I mean when I say I have wrestled with my thoughts. I know that I felt direction and know what the Lord is wanting to do and I know what God would like to do in this house tonight, but we're going to have to be open and willing to allow God to do what he wants to do through us. And he's able to do that and he's willing to do that. Isaiah chapter 46, I hope you can go to camp this week, we're looking forward to it. Amen. Don't show up here Wednesday night or you're going to be all by yourself. But next Sunday, it's going to be a good time. One service right here. It's going to be a good time. Isaiah 46, verse number 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. He's declaring things from ancient times that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. I want to preach from that tenth verse and the first six words making a rather long title declaring the end from the beginning declaring the end from the beginning Lord help me tonight to do what you have asked of me Lord I did my best this morning and I will do so tonight I desire the inspiration of the Holy Ghost and I ask God that you would speak through your servant tonight. Most of all, God, open our hearts and let you, the Holy Spirit do what my words fail and what I fail to do. Let the Holy Ghost speak to hearts tonight all over this room and accomplish the purpose for which you're sending it. 
In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated tonight. Now, what's going on with my voice tonight? Don't anybody get any ideas? The sound man's doing a good job tonight. Give him a, give him a hand. I just preached really hard this morning. I got a little rather excited, and I screamed and yelled. I didn't mean to. I just get all passionate and get all worked up, and I, and I have people tell me, just speak a little slower, a little softer, and I try that. It doesn't work very well. And so I kind of preached my voice out a bit this morning, and knowing that I had tonight, I was being very intentional this morning about not doing that, and I did that. So um, what's, what, I'm going to use what I've got left here tonight to deliver what I believe the Lord wants me to deliver. And this message tonight is intending and very, inti very intentional to speak some vision into this church. I have only, I've been very intentional. I went through a very difficult time. And uh, I'm going to speak very strategically tonight to the church. And, and what I'm going to do in the service this evening I haven't done in over 18 months. As a matter of fact, I only preached vision one time. And I allowed the enemy to, to affect me. Is that okay? I allowed the enemy to affect me. I, I dealt with, maybe it was unintentional, but I dealt with an attack that roared in my mind for a very, very long time. My, my leadership and my, even my preaching, uh, my leadership, my leadership strategies, um, my pastoral methods, uh, I felt all came under scrutiny and I struggled with it. I, I battled with it in my mind, in my own spirit. And I did a lot of praying and soul searching and seeking God. And I recognize that the best days of this church are still ahead of us. And I know, I know what it took to get us from where we were to where we are. And I allowed negativity to detour me for about 18 months and prevent me from doing what I know God has appointed me to do in this season. And so tonight, although I've been very reluctant to preach, uh, like I'm going to preach tonight and do what I'm doing tonight, but I feel this very, very strongly, and I feel it for the service tonight, and so I'm going to say what the Spirit is saying to the church. Uh, you may not shout. You may not clap. You may. You may dance. You may run the aisles. I may not run them with you. This message is not intended to be a pep rally. Some of the things that I may say may even cause you to feel a little uncomfortable at certain moments, but what I'm going to say and do in this service over the next few moments may be one of the most important pastoral messages and moments uh, in the last 18 months or so. 
I believe we're at a very pivotal point as a church. And I do feel that it is time for us to make some key adjustments and make some very significant changes that are going to carry us through the end of this year. I want to tell you that what I'm preaching tonight, I, I did speak briefly to my wife driving down the road the other night on Friday night, as a matter of fact, I believe, when the Lord spoke to me. I shared with her what I felt the Lord speak to me, and she actually injected and gave me some really great thoughts that I am going to preach tonight, and I'm going to give her credit. Uh, I'm going to preach her message tonight. She gave, me a, she gave me a thought, actually, an article that she gave me, and uh, I said, email that to me. I'm going to preach it like it's mine. And so she did so. I believe that for some time God has strategically been setting this church up to lead at levels that we never thought possible. Now, if I said that like I feel it in my spirit, and at the right moment in the service, that was the moment that folks would jump on their feet and be shouting. But I'm going to say what's got to be said, and you let the Holy Ghost do whatever it does in your spirit. We have had to undergo some radical changes in our thinking and our processes. Much like Gideon's army, God has thinned down the crowd in order to build a church that is sold out to evangelism and revival. I realize that there are three key things that are connected with what I'm preaching tonight that I really do not know details about. I understand there are three I don't knows that we must consider if we're going to be the church, the kind of church that God is taking us to and calling us to. Let me say to you that although I have not preached strategically as I am tonight and responded strategically like I'm going to tonight, over the last eight months some very important and strategic changes have happened that have affected the complexity of our congregation. We are doing a great job in some very key areas of our church. Because I have backed off in specific areas, we also have moved into a slump in some specific areas of our church. One area that is absolutely thriving is our Bible study teaching. And I thank God for that. I know Brother Jeremy and Sister Kelly are not here tonight because she has family in town and they're dealing with health issues there. And I understand their absence tonight, but in their absence, I want to say how appreciative I am for the amount of time and energy and effort that they have put into this ministry along with Brother Newcomer and all of our Bible study teachers that have been teaching. You're doing a great job. 
what I'm calling for tonight is more participation than we have ever had in the kingdom of God. Not everybody can be a Bible study teacher. And the hand can't say to the foot that you're not important. Every person in the church that is occupying until he comes and involved in the work of ministry, every individual are equally important in doing what we are doing and seeing the church become what the church is becoming. Some of you are not even aware. Brother Tom Clark comes every week, mainly on Mondays. He's here almost every Monday morning picking up water bottles and sweeping floors. Sister Nancy Emery comes weekly, sometimes twice a week, usually twice a week at least and cleans the restrooms and cleans the building and cleans windows and glass. We don't just show up and this thing automatically happens. Almost every week, Brother Dan Lytle is here mowing and working and giving time and energy and effort. There's a lot of people around this church that are working, that are making it what we are doing. I'm reminded, I'm reminded of the story that was shared in this pulpit just a few weeks ago. If it wasn't so fresh, I would have just used the whole story in the message, didn't put it in my notes, didn't intend to do it when the President of the United States made his way through NASA and saw a janitor working, shook his hand and asked him what he was doing. His reply was, as he was sweeping the floor, Sir, we're putting a man on the moon. It doesn't matter what you are doing, whether you're greeting, whether you're ushering, where you're working. Sir, I have an answer for you. We are involved in the revival that God is sending to North Central Indiana. There are three groups. I'm going to rush because I've got a long ways to go. I don't want to, I don't want to stop you from responding because I need your response tonight. But there are three groups of people that I want to speak to that all come with a question of, I don't know. First is, there are those who say, I don't know what to do. I wouldn't mind being involved, but I don't know what to do. There's a second group that says, I would like to be involved, but I don't know how to do what's expected of me. And then there's a third group that I'm going to speak to tonight, and that's those who say, I'm not sure that I really want to be involved. And for whatever reason it may be, and I'm not putting one above the other, but those are three groups tonight that I'm speaking to, and those three groups are assembled in this room. Some don't know what to do, some don't know how to do it, and some are not really sure that they want to be involved because they've been involved before and hurt came. First of all, allow me to address the group that don't know what to do. I, I'm going to speak to you first tonight and to present you and tell you that over the next few weeks and months, I am personally going to be working very hard to try to produce a game plan to allow you clear instruction on what you can do. I have a lot of people come to me and say, Pastor, what can I do? And it's people that's been around the church a very long time. I can tell you, first of all, showing up is the first thing. Because God chooses those that are available more than he uses those with a lot of ability. He chooses availability over ability. And so God will use you 
when you show up and, are, and, and desire to be part of what God is doing. So be at everything. Show up at everything. Be part of everything. Sign up for everything. And before long, God is going to show you. Instead of me telling you what to do, you're going to be deciding, hey, I see where I fit in. I see where I can work and where I can be part. The second group, for those that don't know how to do we're going to be very strategic to do exactly what we've been doing with our Bible study teaching groups. And that is our Bible study teaching group have been spending time investing in people for 12 or 15 weeks of study and training and on-the-job training and inspiration to help you learn what to do and how to do it in methods and ways and try to inspire people to do what God is asking us to do, and that is reach our world. And so in every aspect of the church, we're going to be working harder to, to create play-by-play -play directions so that it will help you get in the game. Finally, for those who don't know, if you want to be on the team or if you want to be involved, I'm going to try to help you understand the importance of your involvement with the rest of the church. Because God sees the end from the beginning. I can't help the past. I can't help what you've been through. And I can't even help your hurt. And if I've ever hurt you, let me begin by saying, I apologize, I'm sorry. I can promise you, I don't leave this church with intention to bring offense or a hurt to anybody. I work too hard around this place to, to, to intentionally hurt anybody. If you're hurt, I'm sorry. If I hurt you, I'm sorry. If somebody else hurts you, I want to say I'm sorry for them. And if you think you hurt somebody, you ought to say I'm sorry. That's a very small price to pay. God sees the end from the beginning. And so we have to understand that God knows exactly where the church is in the, in the great scheme and the timing of things. I know there's some people that they're right on edge, ready to pull the trigger all the time on, well, that's a sign. This, this, the Lord's coming. Well, the Lord's not coming. Well, this is happening and that's happening. There, I don't know. I, I, I feel like we're very close to the coming of the Lord. And I, and I preached on it here a while back because the signs of the time are pointing in a direction that the coming of the Lord is very soon. And if God comes, we must be ready. But when I was in Bible college and they had written a, 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 a book titled 89 Reasons Why God's Coming in 89, is that it? 88 Reasons Why God's Coming in 88. I read that book and it scared the ever-loving life out of me. I was saved for three days. I believed he was coming in 1988 when I was in Bible college. You can't believe the number of people that were in the prayer rooms every day and night. All the carnality left the building. There were some saved folks around Texas Bible College in those days. We passed the book around, read it, believed it. He didn't come in 88. We started believing he was coming in 89. He didn't come in 89, and I believed he's coming in 90. He didn't come in 90, and I believed he was coming in 2000. He didn't come in 2000, and I'm still preaching that his coming is imminent. Because I believe he could come anytime.
But my point to you tonight is that we must live and plan like he's never coming. But we must also live and plan like he's coming tomorrow. That means my heart's got to be ready. My spirit's got to be right if he comes tomorrow. And I've got to live expecting his soon appearing. But in the event that he does not come tomorrow, I need to make sure that I'm doing everything I can down here to have my family saved, my neighborhood saved, to build the kingdom of God, to help people to reach the lost world. So I want us to think of tonight just a little bit like we are in the locker room and this this is... This is the halftime strategy given by the, co- given by the coach. Okay? This is the last Sunday night of June. You know what that means? It's halftime. The last Sunday night of June. Next Sunday will be the first Sunday in the second half of 2021. So this is the end. This is halftime right here. So here we are in the locker room tonight, and Coach has the microphone, and he's going to talk to you about some things that in 2021, and we're also going to look toward 2022. We have witnessed some remarkable things so far in 2021. In the first half of this year, we have baptized 31 souls in Jesus' name. Thank God for that. To God be the glory. 31 souls baptized is no small feat. So we're on target if we just keep the pace we're on to exceed our goal that we set this year to baptize 50 people in Jesus' name. We're well on our way to meet that goal. But we can't afford to let the future just happen. We must be intentional. Let me speak to all of our ministry leaders that are here tonight. If you have waited until now to start thinking about the second half of this year, which begins this week, you are already behind. And nobody wants to try to win the game from behind. We are up in the game. We are moving forward. But our ministry leaders need to already have their plans in place for what the second half of 2021 is going to look like. Our leaders should already be making plans for 2022. Success doesn't just happen. What does this mean? Every ministry, every group, every team, ought to be thinking and strategizing and putting on paper and talking about how they can involve new people, how they can grow, how they can expand because the church is not downsizing. The church is moving forward. The church is growing. We need to be thinking about what is our next step of improvement. We can't afford to let the future just happen. Success doesn't just happen. Every winning team knows that it takes planning, preparation, and pursuit. 
in September, I plan to meet with every minister, ministry leader, and ministry team to hear your plans and your strategies for 2022. I marked my calendar today for the month of September. I allotted some time. I'm going to be getting together with you. Let this serve warning. Consider this your gentle nudge to start your planning for 2022, to get ready for what we are going to do and your ministry is going to do and how it is going to fulfill the vision and the mission of this church and how it is going to move the church forward and how it is going to reach the lost. I'm tired of having events just for the sake of saying we marked the calendar and we had another event. Everything we do needs to be strategic to fulfilling the vision and the mission of the church of reaching our world. The idea that I'm bringing you tonight, I'm preaching way too slow, I've got to pick up the pace. The idea that I'm bringing you tonight is that God already knows the end from the beginning. We just need to get busy planning and strategizing so we can keep up with God's plan. He knows the end from the beginning, but here we are, and he's looking at us saying, I already got it planned. Either I'm going to use you, your team, and your ministry, or either I'm going to place somebody that is going to accomplish my purpose because when he wills it to happen in the end, it's going to come to pass. Whoa, that didn't make you shout. God is wanting to move the church forward. Declaring the end from the beginning in Isaiah 46 verse 10 gives us a word picture to describe the vision of God. The idea is translated in the Greek here when he says God knows to, to declare the end from the beginning. The word picture here, the Greek word is tele or telos. It is the the root word tell us is where we get the word we get certain words like telescope meaning the word telescope means far seeing how many of you know what a telescope is wake up your neighbor tell him pastor's preaching it means far seeing telescope the same idea is in place when you look through that scope, you don't see any peripherals because a telescope, the, the word telus is speaking of clearly seeing the end from the beginning. When you look through that scope, what do you see? All you see is what it's pointed at on the other end. All of the peripherals and everything that is happening around, they don't even matter. All that matters is what the telescope is focusing on in the far end. It is the far end. It is the far seeing. So when the scripture says that he is declaring the end from the beginning, it means that God 
has already declared and already sees what is happening at the end of the road while we are still trying to get on the entrance ramp onto the road and everything that happens between here and there matter very little. Because God is not affected by what happens in the peripherals. It's not going to change his purpose. God's purpose is not changing because of COVID. Everybody say, well, the church is never going to be what it was before COVID. Wrong. He knows the end from the beginning. Do you think COVID surprised God? Let me stay with my notes here. A telescope is an instrument that is used to view distant objects. If you want to look at planets, you can use a telescope. The higher the magnification on the telescope, the better that you will be able to view. That's why the higher places you go with God, the more you're able to see God's vision. The first, the first sign of backsliding is when people begin to lose their vision. I don't understand why the church feels like we got to do that. I don't feel I don't understand why the church is doing this. This is wrong and that's wrong and they start you know what they do they start getting their eyes on the peripherals because they're not in vision with God. They're not in the tele of God. They're not looking through the tele and seeing the end from the beginning with God and seeing that the vision that God has in the long run is all that really matters. Take the whole world, but let me get on board with what Jesus is doing. Presently, thank you, Annette, for this wonderful article. Presently, NASA is preparing to launch the James Webb Telescope. Anybody studied about it, read about it, know anything about it? Heard about it? A couple people's heard about it. The James Webb Telescope is set to be launched. It was supposed to be launched in May, but there were some problems that came along. And so now it's set to be launched on October 31st. Halloween. It's set to be launched. This is a next generation observatory that is replacing the Hubble telescope. It's going to make Hubble a piece of scrap floating around in the sky. This thing is so far advanced, costing somewhere between 10 and 11 billion with a B dollars. They're going to launch this baby October 31st. It's been in the making since like 2007. And it's faced a lot of delays. But this new invention will be able to view the most distance, the most distant stars in the universe. It'll not only be able to see the stars, but check this out. There's a lot of preaching here that I just don't have time to preach about. But it's designed to observe the atmospheres of the planets that are around the most distant stars. It is so powerful. It can observe 
the atmospheres. Eric Smith, one of the program scientists, says the discovery capability of the web is limited only to our own imaginations. And scientists around the world will soon be using this general purpose observatory to take us places that we never dreamed going before. I told you I could preach on this for a while. Watch. After its launch, I, I felt like it was the Lord that led Annette to this to share with me because of where we are in the positioning. So you, you can make up your mind about that. Maybe it was just because we went to eat and we're running late and I needed help. After its launch, the Webb Telescope will spend six months journeying into a gravitationally stable spot beyond the moon's orbit. It will be over one million miles away and it's going to take six months for that baby to get lined out and balanced in its orbit. Interesting, when we step into a new plan, we know that it always is going to take a little time to get things in motion. From the time we start sh sharing vision, I remember the first night on Delphi Avenue when I began to preach and in the middle of my preaching, I made a statement about us building a new building. We didn't have land. We didn't have money. We were in debt where we were. And I started preaching vision about the growth that God was going to send the church and where we were going to. And that vision was met with these words. We need to fill up the church that we have before you start talking about a new building. But vision caused me to see beyond where we were. And I saw where we were going to. And from the first time that I mentioned building a new church, it was seven years later before we ever broke ground. And three years of a building program until we finally moved in, encroaching upon the 11th year from the time I first preached the vision of a new building until we moved in. The night I first preached that vision, we had 120 people sitting in a building on Delphi Avenue. The night we moved out of that building, we had 264 people crammed into that little building that we're getting ready to move into this building. Vision means we see beyond where we are and forget about the peripherals. Everybody says, well, what if, what if, what if? They're all provision. They're all peripherals. What we need to do is get our eyes on what God is wanting to do in the church. Can I say to all of our ministry leaders and workers and laborers, and leaders that are going to be planning over the next three months to meet with me in September. We understand it's going to take some time. When we come with a new idea, we're not going to step into it and it automatically works. When we came through COVID, we didn't have an idea what we were doing. We started seeing if we were even going to have Sunday nights again. 
We, we, we started back with having Sunday night children's service and Sunday night youth service just to see if anybody was going to show up. And it was such a hit that Pete, there's an outcry for us to have some Sunday night children's churches and some Sunday night youth services. Because people loved it. And the kids loved it. And the youth loved it. And so we learned something through it. That we don't always have it right. That there could be something come along where the Lord is kind of showing us, hey, there's some other ways to reach people. But we've got to get busy now because it may take six months to get things stable. This is the last Sunday night of June. The last Sunday night of the first half of this year. We're at halftime. And if you want, we can just come to church and we can cause church to be the halftime show. That's what it can become. I showed up, I looked, I watched, I enjoyed, and now I'm going home. But I'm telling you, what I experienced tonight was not a halftime show. What I experienced tonight was a group of people that had been praying, been seeking God, and said, hey, we're going to do more than put on a halftime show. We're going to come and have church. God's going to move. God's going to bless. I, w I thank God for our music team. I thank God for their faithfulness. I thank God for their, their steadfastness. I thank God for their walk. I hear pastors talking about their music team and all the mess they do and the, the stuff they create. If you don't like what's going on with our music team, you need to go pray. We need to thank God for people that come and serve and work and labor without scandal. Well, I said it. So we're going to have to consider the way we're going to approach things going into the second half. We're up in the game. Things are going good. God's blessing us. We endured some injuries. We've endured some, we've endured some setbacks. We, we've, we've, had, we've lost a few people along the way. They're out of the game. And so now it's time for us to have a shift in our thinking. Some people call this a paradigm shift, a shift in our thinking. What I'm asking is for us to begin to think differently about the purpose of the church. It's about the purpose of the church. It's about the why. Is it just for me to show up and enjoy the halftime show? Or is the purpose of the church to prepare people, to reach people? Is this a soul-saving center? Is this a place for the hurting and the wounded? Is this a place for people to come? Oh, I know I'm preaching to a mainly saved church here tonight, but we've got to get our mindset and understand the work of ministry and the work of the church isn't about me having a title. The work of the church is about reaching the lost and discipling converts and getting people ready for that great day. Everyone shout souls. Shout souls. How can we as individuals affect the church to reach lost souls? 
So for the next few minutes, let's think about some adjustments that maybe we need to make in our thinking to be more effective soul winners. Now, of course, there are some things that are non-negotiable. I don't even have to go there and don't even have to preach them. My Lord, I've already been preaching 30 minutes. I was supposed to be done by now. Y'all pray for me right now in Jesus' name. There are some things that are non-negotiable. Our commitment to God is going to stay the same. Our commitment to the Bible, to the Word of God, it's our source of truth. It's going to stay the same. We're not watering down the apostolic doctrine. We are committed to the apostolic doctrine. We're committed to holiness, committed to separation from the world. We're committed to it, not going anywhere. Nothing's changing. Staying right there. Our commitment to prayer and worship and evangelism and discipleship, we got to step up the game a little bit. We got to start doing a little more than what we've done. We need to be more intentional about prayer services. We need to be more intentional about engaging in worship. We need to be more intentional about our evangelism efforts. We need to be more intentional, and we're doing great, but we need to do better with our discipleship. can't keep looking at everything the way we've always looked at it. Because as there's a dynamic and a shift in the church, it means we have to get our focus in new areas. When you baptize 31 new people, you better have a system in place to be able to disciple those 31 new people. Otherwise, the church just becomes a revolving door in and out. Somebody told me one time, you want to know the fastest way to lose people? Ignore them and they will go away. Every new per person that walks in the doors of this church, it is not just my responsibility, not just my wife's responsibility, not just whoever brought their, them their responsibility. It is the church's responsibility to make them feel welcome, to sit and listen to them, to talk to them, to spend time with them, because if we ignore them, they will go away. So there's no question that a church ought to meet the needs of its members. I get that. We ought to be here. We ought to be here for people. This week, our good friend, Brother Duggar, lost his brother. There ought to be an outpouring of love and a prayer for Brother Duggar. I made one quick post on social media. People began to light up all over. People began to ask, what can we do? How can we, what, what can we do? The church ought to be there when somebody goes through a need. Sister Finney's going through cancer. She's been struggling. My wife, you, you folks have been, have been so good months ago. I, I, I know I gained 20 pounds in about, in about three months around my house with all the meals getting brought and all the things coming in, people helping, people doing what we do. We have to be intentional about meeting the needs of our congregation. But not just those who are our old friends that we've been friends with for a long, long time. When a new person walks in the door, they need to be our new friend. We need to make connection with them. We need to connect with them there. They need to be part of the body then. They don't have to be a 30-year relationship, a three-day relationship. I'm here for you. I'm your friend. I'm here to help you. So the church must meet the needs of its congregation. But here's what I found. When I as a church member began to expect the focus to be on me and on what meets my need, 
that's when I become more likely to complain and to gripe and to grumble and to find fault. That's me. When I start expecting it, it is at that moment that many people become miserable and stagnant. But when I shift from a serve me mentality or a serve us mentality to a service mentality to where it's not about me being served but about who I can serve. There has to be a shift away in the church that says, can I be in charge? Can I be in charge? Can I be up front? Can I be the leader? To say and just find a place where I can plug in and be part of what is going on because the hand can't say to the foot that it is not important and the eye can't say to the, to the tongue that you're not important. Most of us have been conditioned to think that ministry is just something that pastors do. Here's a definition of ministry that might surprise you. Ministry is meeting another's needs with the resources that God gives you. When God blesses you and you use those resources to bless others, you were used in ministry. Perhaps we need to broaden our definition of ministry. Serving others ought to be a normal part of life for every believer. You may not be a Bible scholar or an upfront person, but no matter what your talents or abilities are or desires are, you can meet someone else's needs out of the resources that God has given you. For the remainder of this year, I want us to be more intentional to investigate and communicate the needs or ministry opportunities in and around the church and in and around our community and the church community, our friends and our connections, and look for areas where we are able to plug in and serve. It's not all up front. And we need everybody. We need volunteers that'll say, Pastor, I'll mow the line. We need maintenance folks that'll say, Pastor, I will get involved. We need fence roads tended. We need landscaping weeded. There is a place for everybody. There is something everybody can do. There is a place for everybody to volunteer. It's the goal and desire of mine to see an increase in the percentage of people who are serving in the work of some ministry in this church by the end of this year. If you are in this room tonight, it's my desire for 100% of the people in this room to say, hey, I am plugged in and involved in some area of work in the kingdom of God. We're going to win the lost in these last days. Then we're going to have to shift from being served to effectively mobilizing to meet the needs of the people that are around us. They are out there and they are wondering and they're looking for who cares. People do not care how much Bible you know until they know how much you care about them. 
They're looking to say who cares. I want this church to send a clear message to every backslider, to every wounded and every broken individual, to our social media people, to our to our video team, to all of these that are working in the tech world. We need to do a, a better, we're do, you're doing great, but we need to do a better job and we need to communicate with our world. We need to, we need to tell every backslider it's time to come home. We need to reach to every person in this community and tell them we love you just like you are. Somebody says, I can't come to church because I don't have a suit and tie to wear. Forget the suit and tie. I'll lose mine and get up here and preach the word in, in a pair of slacks without a tie. If I need to, I'll have a special service on a Friday night if I need to. We'll preach in a different language if we need to. We are here to reach our world at whatever it costs. Some of you in this room will remember, will remember Ernesto. Ernesto was baptized in Jesus' name in this baptistry in the month of February during the awakening. I'm not sure how many of you guys got to meet or got to talk with or got to know Ernesto. But there are some preventing factors that kept us from properly ministering to Ernesto at the level that we should have been able to minister to him. And I won't go into details. But in April, when we lost our ability to be able to, to stay in contact and reach to him, I got notified on a Sunday morning that on that Friday night that Ernesto had passed away unexpectedly from a drug overdose. He was baptized here in February. But in the matter of just a short time, without constant contact, on a Saturday night, he slid back, or as they say it, Brother Omar's teaching me, I'm teaching him church language, he's teaching me street language. They fell off the wagon. He fell off the wagon. Street language. And Ernesto got a hold of something that he wasn't expecting. And it led to the end of his life. I'm not saying that it's any of our fault individually. Or that we did something wrong, me or you. But I wonder if we could have done more, would it have possibly prevented the loss of a life? I don't know. I don't know if any of you, thank you for the picture. I don't know how many of you met Michael this morning. Michael was a first-time guest today. He was with us this morning in service. How many of you noticed Michael? It's his first time to ever walk in the doors. Michael has some struggles, as you could tell just from meeting him. 
Michael was struggling. He was our first-time guest this morning. In Omar's words, Michael's on the ropes, and he needs help now. Did I understand Michael's not in a program? He needs to be in a program. And he needs program Jesus more than he needs anything. And he came to the right place this morning because somebody cared enough to pick him up and bring him to the house of the Lord and tell him, you may not be in a program yet, but I'm going to take you to a place where you can find something that will change your life. I'm talking about a shift in the culture of the church. Don't get nervous when somebody strange walks in. And somebody that may be struggling a little bit even while they're here, if you get my drift. What could we do as a church? What are the possibilities? How can we as a church step through a door of opportunity that God has opened for us. A great number, the majority of those baptized in that baptistry this year are those just coming out of a life just like Michael and just like Ernesto. What can we as a church do How can we step through this door of opportunity to minister to them, to reach them this past week? You guys don't know this, but I talk to Omar all the time. His heart, his passion, he stirred something in me. This past week, Omar called. He said, Pastor Andrew has been in a rehab program and in a halfway house, for lack of a better term, a rehab house for about eight months. He's gotten himself in a pinch. He's lost his job because of a shutdown. He's at the point where he's about to lose hope. We need to find a way to help him. The program that he's in is a government program. Government-sponsored program. I'm just going to share. Is it all right if I just say it like it is tonight? He says, Pastor, here's the problem. They're all about money. They're not about the, the need that is there. If they can't produce the money or their insurance doesn't meet the need, they're out. Andrew's down on his luck. He's doing good. He's muscled through for the last eight months. He just has three or four months left in the program. But he's about to get kicked out this week because he's $400 behind. Omar, I'm glad you're here tonight, buddy. Here's you a $400 check. It's made out to Home with Hope for you to take there tomorrow. And you tell him, there's a group of people in Frankfurt, Indiana that care about the hurting. You go tell Andrew that there's people
people that's willing to step in and make a difference. I don't know if you can already heard it in my heart tonight, but this church needs an addiction recovery program that is available and open and reaching and making a difference. We need people. The staff's overworked. I don't have the time. Somebody needs to step up and say, hey, I'm on the team. Hey, we're going to make it happen. Hey, we're going to sponsor it. We're going to do it. Lift your hands right now and pray that God will lay a burden on some people's heart in this room tonight to say, I am willing to make a difference. Come on, let your prayer out right now. Let your prayer be heard all over this building. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't get me wrong. This church is not just about the down and out. This church is not only about the addicted. This church is committed. It's committed to Christian education. It's committed to educating Bible college students. It's committed to the mission's work around the world. My wife came to me with a vision for our CLC ladies. She said, can I, can I offer this to our CLC ladies ministry? She presented to me an idea. She said it takes, it only takes, listen, it only takes on an average $200 to pay tuition for a foreign student to be able to go through, is that a semester or a year? For a year of their Bible college, it takes $200. We blow it on one family meal. But we can educate somebody that knows their language already. It's not somebody from here trying to go there. It's one of their own being educated to go back into their villages, back in their cities, back on their streets and reach them. It takes $200 to do it. My wife said, I want our ladies to take on a project. I said, wonderful. She said, when can we do it? I said, Sunday we had a fire. So I'm coming tonight and I'm going to help my wife with this tonight. It takes $200 to send a foreign Bible college student to a year of school. She came. She said, I have $200 of your money. And I want to be the first one. And we're going to send our church is going to sponsor a Bible college student this year. And maybe somebody's going to hear about it. And they're going to get fired up about it. And next year, maybe we can do two or three. But she said, I got a better idea. I'm going to take that $200 that I was going to give to send that Bible college student. And she took that, she took that in 10 $20 bills. And she put them in 10 envelopes. 
and there's $20 in each of this envelope. And she wants to create a challenge to any of our ladies that would be willing to say, I'm going to take that $20 and I'm going to buy whatever I need to buy. If I need to buy uh, some, some cake mix, if I need to buy some flour and sugar, uh, whatever I need to buy. But over the next 30 days until August the 1st, you've got till August the 1st to take that $20 and multiply it. Here's the way it's going to happen. This is going, this, her, my wife's $200 became seed. Your first $20 is already done. But I want to find 10 people in this room that'll say, I want to sponsor a foreign Bible college student. I want, you to find, I want you to find 10 people. Find 10 people. Raise your hand if you're willing to do this. We had a fire last week in the church. I only have 10 envelopes. So the first 10, those that are waving their hands, if you're not really going to do this, don't take an envelope. All right? We only have 10 envelopes. We're going to send 10 Bible college students. If we left somebody out, if we left somebody out, we'll try to find a way to get you involved. Maybe my wife will find another $20 bill in Dylan's wallet laying around the house somewhere. We had a fire a week and a half or so ago. And I'm going to tell you that where we are as a church, we do not have time for this distraction. Now, insurance is going to help us, and I thank God for that. Thank you, Brother Newcomer. He's been working very hard negotiating with the insurance company, doing details and all the things, and he's just completely allowed me to be able to do what I need to do. That's the kind of leadership that we need. We can't afford to be shut down. We can't afford to take months of focus whining around about the shortage and about what we can't do. The church needs to rise to the occasion and do what we need to do. There's some things that the insurance is not going to cover. We need to replace all of the fire hazard lights that are in this building. We've already had two fires. We're not going to have a third. I've already ordered all of those lights to come out of this building and the board is going to say yay, amen. I didn't even ask permission. How do you like those taters? Insurance is helping us. I don't want to mislead anybody. But we can't afford to be shut down. Come on, we've got revival coming. We've got souls at stake. We've got Michaels that we've got to get a hold of and disciple. We've got Bible studies to teach. We came tonight with some envelopes. I'm going to give you to August the 1st. You maybe didn't come tonight. But some of you don't take one if you're not prepared to do it. But I have envelopes tonight. We've got several envelopes. We've got about 40 envelopes tonight that's got five, that, that has $500 on it. They're empty. They don't have a 20. I ran out. But if you can commit to giving $500 between now and next year, about, uh, next month, sorry, between now and August the 1st, I want you to take one of those. I'm taking one. And Annette, out of your allowance, is going to be one. 
All right, so she and I are going to take two, and that's $1,000 that we're going to give. This is going to go toward multiple things, and I'm going to tell you what they are. First of all, it's going toward the fire. It's going to make sure that we don't have to wait for an insurance check, that tomorrow, that tomorrow I can say, order, go, we're moving forward. We know that money's going to come in. We, we have other things that have to be done. We need to resurface our parking lot. That doesn't need to be anything that we worry about. We've got quotes. It's $10,000 to resurface our parking lot, seal it, stripe it, put it back together. We can raise that real easy tonight. Where'd all my amens go? I knew you weren't going to shout and run tonight on this. this. This can't be a distraction. The fire can't be a distraction. We need, we need to keep moving forward. Right now, I asked about three weeks ago how many Bible studies that has been taught this year. They said, here's what they said. They said, we have had six Bible studies that have been completed, 18 Bible studies that are in place, and since we've had six more people that have signed up for Bible studies. That means somewhere above 20 Maybe over 25 first steps exploring God's words, Bible studies. July 11th, we're kicking off. You heard the announcement tonight. Step number two, the next step, we're going in the path of life. We are committed to discipling people. We must be about at the master's business. And we're just getting started. We need Bible study teachers. We need altar workers. We need lawn and landscapers. We need maintenance men. We need givers because revival comes with a cost. Here's what's going to happen this fall. You're going to be hearing information about it. You ought to go ahead tonight. If you haven't already lifted your hand and taken one, you have until August 1st to get the money in. You need to take one of these envelopes tonight. If you can't take $500, I think they have some $200 envelopes. And they'll come around and give you, if you need a $200 envelope, give them the peace sign. They'll give you two of the $200 envelopes if you want to do four. If you just want to do one, lift your hand and say one, and they'll give you one of the 200s. Vision equals sacrifice. I hope you're not distracted over this being a calling for a moment of sacrificial giving. Here's what we're going to do. Revival comes with a cost. Part of these funds are going to go to sponsor an international healing and deliverance crusade that is going to come to a church near you this fall. It's going to be bilingual. And in the process, we're going to reach every door in our city. Not one stone left unturned. We're going to every door. It's going to be in every language that's needed in this community. And 
We're going to pull out all the stops. We're going to be planned. We're going to be singing and preaching in both English and Spanish. We're going to have, we're going to pull out all the stops. Look out, September. We're not just coming to find out plans for 2022, but we're coming and getting ready for an apostolic downpour. There is going to be healings. There's going to be deliverance. There's going to be baptisms. There's going to be the Holy Ghost outpourings. Get ready to watch that number of 31 go well beyond the number of 50. Get ready for it. Pastor, why are you so passionate about this? Because we've come too far to stop now. There have been too many prayers prayed for us to stop now. I know what you're feeling tonight. I feel a little bit of resistance from the congregation tonight. You know why? That's because I'm pushing on the gas tonight. I'm putting the pedal to the metal. I've been 18 months of sitting around sucking my thumb because a select group wanted to criticize me pushing the gas too often. But I'm throttling tonight. I'm saying let's go after it. We're going after revival. We're going after souls. We're going after a harvest. We're going to reach our city. We're going to give like there's no tomorrow. We're going to send missionaries. We're going to raise up young men and women to carry the gospel. There's been too many sacrifices that have been made. There's been too many prayers that have been prayed. Stand with me all over the building. I'm almost done. We're not done. We're only halfway through. Maybe this could be the year for the even greater revival. Why not make this the greatest year in history? I know we're giving for a vision toward this year, but I'm telling you already, I heard the voice from heaven that said, get ready for next year. You know what the doctor told my wife? My wife has complained to me, and she keeps saying, I'm a distraction. I'm a distraction. You're not a distraction. Cancer has been a bit of a distraction for you. And it's called this church to a point of unity. October, the first week of October, October 3rd is the last dose of chemo. The doctor told you last week, two months, and you're going to be back up on your feet and strong. October 3rd, November, December 3rd, you're going to be strong for Christmas. And when we come into December 1st, And when we come into January 1, 2022, get ready because we're not just going to win the game this year. Come on, team. We are gearing up. We're going to do more next year than we have ever done. I'm not going to be satisfied over one 58-soul revival. We're going to do it again and again and again and again. This isn't a pep rally. This is a point of commitment. I've got it. I'm giving toward it. I'm going to be faithful to it. I'm going to serve in it. I'm going to involve myself in it. Come on, we're going to reach every home. We're going to reach every tongue. We're going to reach every nation here in North Central Indiana. It's going to happen.
the revival that God promised this church was a revival without walls. Meaning the revival is going to happen. It's going to be so big this church cannot contain it. When we started building this building, the Lord gave my wife a vision, a dream. And the whole entire building was full to capacity. And there were people lined up outside the building. They were weaving in and out, standing through every possible area to stand. The doors were open because people were standing on the outside trying to hear what was happening on the inside. If you thought that the fulfillment of the vision was moving into this assembly and moving into this building, you missed the point of this building. The point of this building is a place for us to teach Bible studies, for us to train young people, for us to be able to preach the gospel, for us to be able to assemble in fellowship. It's not about a building, but I'm telling you this is not going to be the last building. Get ready for what God is going to do in the last day, saith God. I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. It is going to happen. It is going to happen in our day. We are going to see it. I believe it. I'm committed to it. I'm working toward it. I'm believing for it. I'm praying for it. I'm trusting God for it. And I have the faith to believe it's going to come to pass. If you believe it, put your hands together and give God a loud shout of praise in this house right now. Come on, shout like he's already done it. Shout like he's already accomplished it. Come on, give him praise in this house. Come on, it's time to celebrate in this house. It's time to thank God in advance for what he is doing, for how he's going to use you. He's going to reach your family. He's going to reach your lost loved ones. It's coming to pass. Come on, give God praise. I'm out of energy. I'm out of voice, Dylan. You got to have some voice to come help me here in just a moment. I'm going to turn this service over to you. I want us to leave here giving God praise because our future is greater than our past. I didn't finish my message tonight, but I'm telling you that what we're shouting over and believing God for, he's had it in his telus because he knew the end from the beginning. That means before we ever got here, God said, yep, I knew about that last Sunday night in June and I know what's coming down the road because he knows the end from the beginning. Give God praise in this house right now. Somebody 30 seconds and give God some praise. Come on, if you've got vision, if you've got vision. Hey. I've got a word to 
speak to you right now. And when this word goes forth, you do whatever that you want with it. But I say that we turn loose with some worship and praise in this house tonight. For the victory. Yeah, I know it's just halftime. But we're going to praise him for the victory already. Let me tell you what the Lord told me. I'm going to share it. And you do what you want with it. But the Lord said this. He said, I have designed a dimension for you. A dimension that you have not yet seen. Although you might not know how you're going to reach it. But if you follow my voice and if you follow the shepherd I have put over you I am going to blow your expectation out of the water saith the Lord you better do something with 